This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Good morning, everyone. Our first reading is from 1 Corinthians 1, verses 8, 18 to 24. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of, the age, of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading today is taken from Matthew 11, verses 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your holy word. May it be a lantern to our feet, a light to our paths, and strength to our lives. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, please do be seated. Now, my name is uh, Michael Jensen, and I'm not David Crane, as is listed on the outline. Last week, for those of you who were here, uh, I was feeling unwell, and Tim preached the sermon that I had prepared. This week, David is feeling unwell, and I'm preaching the sermon that he prepared. Next week... Who can say? (laughs) But we come to address the the topic of the wisdom of God today. And I want to begin by asking you, do you really think God is wise? We've gone through a list of God's characteristics, things about his nature that we've seen from the Bible. In the last few weeks, we've seen that God is uniquely God. We've seen that God is powerful He created all things and keeps it all going and raised Jesus from the dead. We've seen that God is faithful, that he carries out his promises, that he's consistent to his own character. We've seen that God is just, 
ultimately vindicating the poor and the oppressed and speaking the truth. And now today, we are going to think about God as wise, God in his wisdom. But even if we accept that God is good and powerful and faithful and in the long run just, can we accept that he is also wise? Has he always got it right? Does he really know what he is doing? Because sometimes from our perspective, it doesn't look like it. A hundred years ago, in the aftermath of the Great War and then the Great Flu epidemic in the early 1920s, church attendances across the Western world, especially in England and in Australia, plummeted because people wondered how could God, even if he was uh, faithful, even if he was powerful, even if in the long run he was just, how could he be wise given what people had seen in the trenches of the war? It certainly seems like not a very clever way to do it, not a very clever outcome. Perhaps we think God should have done better. And in the succeeding events over the past century, over those periods of time when we've we've seen such calamity in our world, we may well be continuing to ask the same question. And now maybe that's a question you ask not simply on a global and historical perspective, from a global or historical perspective, but also from a personal perspective. Perhaps you have occasion in your own life to question whether what is going on is really a reflection of the wisdom, a God who is wise, the wisdom of God. Nevertheless, the Bible strongly declares that he is indeed wise. What is this idea of God's God's wisdom? Wisdom in the Bible is not simply knowing a lot of information. And it's certainly not abstract knowledge. It's more like engineering than it is like pure maths. Wisdom is the art of deciding the best, especially in moral terms, and then successfully doing it. It's a very practical idea, not simply a theoretical one. The New Bible Dictionary puts it this way. Wisdom is intensely practical. It's the art of being successful, of forming the correct plan to gain the desired results. Wisdom, you might say, is knowledge that works. And we see God's wisdom, his knowledge that works, in three particular ways. In creation, in what we call providence, and in the cross. In creation, in providence, and the cross. So firstly, in creation, we see God's extraordinary wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19, we hear this. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he founded the heavens. At stage after stage in the creation story, in Genesis 1, that extraordinary chapter that opens the Bible, we read, and God saw that it was good. The Bible's conviction is that God's creation is good. And good in the fullest sense that we could mean good. It is good because it is an extraordinary unity. It is good because it is It is beautiful. It is good because it it functions in such an extraordinary way. It is the ultimate demonstration of God's wisdom because it works. It is a success with desired results. Aren't you astounded at the profound harmony of all things? At the genius, at the creation of the human eye? Or the wisdom that placed the earth in exactly the orbit around the sun that it has. At least in part, I think the appalled reaction of so many people to the environmental degradation of the planet is because we recognize the wisdom, the beautiful wisdom in how things have been made. 
and thus the foolishness of human beings in treating it so recklessly, in so casually destroying it. We can see God's wisdom in creation, but we see also God's wisdom in what we call providence, which is the way he orders human affairs, the the events of human history to accomplish his purposes. The classical biblical example is the story of Joseph. Do you remember Joseph was sold into slavery? He's the 11th brother in a large family, and his brothers are very jealous of him. So they sell him into slavery down in Egypt. But then as the years go by, uh, Joseph does quite well in Egypt and becomes the advisor, the chief advisor to the Pharaoh during a devastating famine. And when his brothers arrive from Israel, desperately seeking grain just so that they can survive, he says to them, they're very surprised to see him, I am your brother Joseph, who you sold into Egypt. Now don't be distressed, for God sent me before you to save your lives to keep alive for you many survivors. It was not you who sent me here, but God. It's an extraordinary scene. He sees their vicious wickedness, their petty jealousy, and his suffering as eclipsed by God's wisdom, God's plan to save his chosen family and to do it successfully is not thwarted by the jealousy, by the outright evil of the brothers of Joseph. God, in his wisdom, incorporated their wickedness into his plan to bring out about this wonderful result. It's still an extraordinary example for us of God's wisdom, aiming for the best and being successful. As we'll sing in the song just after the sermon, every sorrow has its place in his tapestry of grace. God achieves his purposes, his wise purposes, despite everything. His wisdom, then, is on full display in the creation. It's on display in his providence, the way he brings his purposes about. But supremely, his his wisdom is shown in the cross of Jesus Christ. We got that from uh, that passage from 1 Corinthians that we had read for us. We proclaim, says Paul there, Christ crucified. To those who are called, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So why is the cross, the death of Jesus, the wisdom of God? Well, Paul will admit that on the face of it, the cross looks like foolishness. It's a terrible and shameful defeat. What kind of strategy is it which leads to the death of the key figure? How could it be wise? And how could a message about the death of the Son of God, be good news. How could that do anything? How could that be wise? And yet precisely this is the wisdom of God. God's enormous dilemma is how to save sinful people. How, in the world that he has made, to rescue his people from themselves. He wants people in fellowship with him, in eternal life, but... Our sins, our evils disqualify us from existence in his perfection. And he could say, I guess, he could say, well, I will dwell in in solitude since there's nobody else worthy of being with me. Just as light banishes darkness and like magnetic poles repel each other, so no uncleansed sinner can be part of eternal life. And This is not a trivial matter. 
This cannot just be forgotten. But what God does in his wisdom is genius. He plans to pay for our sins since it's totally beyond us to do so. And he finds the way to succeed in his purposes. He paid for our sins for himself. He paid them himself via his son. Overcoming creation's chief problem was the aim. The cross was the horrifying but brilliant solution. Here indeed is extraordinary, surprising wisdom, the highlight of the whole of human history. And St. Paul is kind of beside himself whenever he thinks about it. There's this great passage in Romans chapter 11 when he considers God's plans. And he can't really kind of at one level make sense of what God would do. It doesn't, it's not what a human would decide to do. And he says there, oh, the depth of the wisdom of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. We says Paul, don't always know what God has planned. We cannot fathom his wisdom, but we know from his creation, from his providence, and from the cross that he is wise. What about us? By contrast to God, how wise are we? Well, we certainly think we are wise, we human beings. We certainly can point to our deep knowledge of many things. We certainly advance in learning. We certainly know that human beings can be extraordinarily clever in what they do. But are we wise? One of the surprises, perhaps, in the arrival and expansion of social media in the last few decades is the ever more vast number of people who are more than happy to express strong views on topics they know very little about. Speaking for myself as well, so many people, it's so evident, isn't it? So many people believe they know that other people's opinions are stupid and their own opinions are wise. I mean, I guess the difference is we used to do this in the pub or at the cafe, didn't we? We kind of just just broadcast our, our, our opinions thinking we are wise and it's safe there. But now everyone can see it. We do this to each other. We believe we know everything. And we declare that. Now, I guess I'm on the verge of doing the same thing by rubbishing their rubbishings of each other, right? But it's true, isn't it? Our own belief in our own wisdom is immense. Everyone is a self-appointed expert. At least in Bible times, you might say, well, people followed their opinions of their leaders, of the traditions that they inherited. But was that any better? Was that any better than knowing your own, you know, just declaring yourself to be wise. In either case, the wisdom of God has often been badly missed. Paul summarized his experience of preaching the gospel of the cross in the, the, in, in the world which contained both Jews who wanted signs, miraculous signs of power, and Greeks who delighted in wisdom. Nothing better than they wanted to hear than uh, earthly wisdom. He said, look, Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. God's great act of extraordinary wisdom, whereby he reconciled the world to himself in Jesus Christ, aiming to achieve our salvation, the greatest benefit ever, and then being successful in that through the resurrection of Jesus, this was often greeted with bitter or mocking rejection. Paul says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. 
Nothing has changed. The belief that God will have to accept me because I'm definitely good enough, that I don't need what the cross of Christ represents, is widespread. It seems to, in human terms, make better sense, doesn't it? Just be decent and God will accept that, surely. And yet this is not the wisdom of the cross, not God's wisdom. This is the belief of most human wisdom. The cross shouts back to us, here is wisdom. The, the, the one and only way that we may be saved. Accept the offer of Jesus Christ because you cannot save yourself. Recognize and accept the wisdom of God. All else, no matter how wise in human eyes you are, is foolishness indeed. Paul says again, God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. God's so-called foolishness, wiser than human wisdom, turns out to be far, far wiser. Now, what has all this got to do with us? The New Testament is both clear and urgent. God is wise. We can never exceed him in wisdom. But he calls us to be wise. Paul says, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If we are meant to do something, we are meant to do something so that we can learn to think God's way. We do not just know what is wise instinctively. We have to learn it so often because natural human wisdom gets it wrong. And so we've got four steps here for helping us to learn God's wisdom, to be wise after God, if you like. We can never, we can never attain to God's perfect wisdom that is his alone. And yet we can, share, we, can, we can share in his wisdom because as we seek for it, he will give it to us. So here are the four steps. Well, first of all, there's that well-known verse uh, which comes up again and again, four or five times at least in Scripture. And there's one, from Psalm, one, one example from Psalm 111 that sounds like this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is a little, bit like the fear of electricity. Now, David once uh, told me this story of uh, the fact that he took a f- the funeral of an electrician who had come to work on a house, but the teenager there was watching his favourite TV show, so being a very kind person, the guy left the electricity on as he crawled under the house. He backed into a live wire and lost his life. Supplied electricity is magnificent. We could scarcely live without it. And we should enjoy it immensely, of course, but we need to remember what it is, what power it has. We need to fear it rightly and respect it. And in some little way, God is like this too. We are invited to enjoy him, but not to forget who he is. The key to being wise as a human being is knowing that you are not God and knowing that you cannot presume on God. Knowing to treat God as God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We are created to have fellowship with God here and now on the way to eternal life. And this is the best, is the very best. And living with that goal is the very heart of wisdom. So fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. The wisest person is not the person with the most university degrees. The person who fears the Lord rightly, knows him, and therefore knows themselves. So secondly, 
This is the second point. Be humble and wary then about your own wisdom. When we fear the Lord, we start to know what our own minds are capable of. We start to know the limits, the right limits that we have as human beings. We know that it's right for us to have humility. You know, I think the three hardest words to say in the English language are not, I love you, but I don't know. At least I find them very hard to say. (laughs) To admit that you don't know. That you can't know. We see this as the, as the kind of the, the news cycle scrolls by and we're supposed to have an, 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 a view on every issue. People ask you, what's your view on this? And it's actually okay to say, you know, I don't have divine wisdom. I just don't know. I'm doing my best, but I can't be dogmatic about this because I'm a human being. I have to be humble. I know that I am capable of self-justification. I know that I'm capable of convincing myself of what I want to be true. I know that about myself. And so I hesitate. I'm humble when I come to the matter of wisdom and I'm wary. I'm self-suspicious, self-critical. Wouldn't it be a great society to live in if everyone was like that? Be humble and wary about your own wisdom. Fear God and also pray for wisdom. Jesus' brother James wrote, if any of you is lacking wisdom, ask God and it will be given to you. Paul told the Colossians, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So that you may live lives worthy of the Lord. To live worthily, we need to think God's way to have his wisdom because our own wisdom will somewhere along the line be flawed. But God promises to Give us his wisdom to make us wise. It's something we can not only study to learn, to know, but actually pray for. So at the point of a difficult decision that you are making, maybe in the workplace or in the home, a difficult situation, do you pray for God's wisdom in that? Do you pray that God will enlighten you, will guide you? For he invites us to do exactly that. One of the great biblical examples of this is Solomon, the king, the son of David, who uh, was uh, in a dream just as he became the king. uh, God appeared to him and said, I will give you anything you ask. Um, I mean, that's that's kind of a great question to be to be on the receiving end of, isn't it? To be like for God to come and say, look, what do you want, Solomon? Uh, What did what, what would you say? Solomon asked famously for wisdom. This was the the greatest answer he could have given, to have God's wisdom, to have God's guidance. So pray for wisdom. And lastly, feed on the scriptures. On top of developing a fear of the Lord, a humility about your own wisdom and a habit of praying for wisdom, we need to go to where God speaks to let the word of Christ, as Paul says, dwell in us richly. And there we will find things that are surprising to us. We will find God's surprising wisdom. We will find ourselves challenged. We will find ourselves sometimes made uncomfortable by what we read. Who would have thought that it is wise, for instance, to turn the other cheek or to pray for those who persecute you or to forgive 70 times 7 or to choose the humblest seats in every gathering rather than the most prominent. And yet this is the wisdom of Jesus himself 
with the mind of God. All of these basic Christian behaviours, examples of godly wisdom, seem to go counter to the usual human wisdom. Now, after a couple of thousand years of Christianity in our history, at least some of Jesus' counterintuitive morality has sunk into our cultural conscience. So we do see that around the place, and well, may we praise the Lord for that. But this is ebbing and flowing, of course. Thanks to Jesus, we do now expect that everyone will be treated equally before the law, even as we sometimes struggle to practice that. We do expect that people will be honest whether others are watching or not. We expect that people will be treated, will be given their rights and dignity, uh, no matter what their gender or their race. God's wisdom has won some big battles in our culture, but nowhere near enough for a citizen of our society to be confident that he will know the content of godly wisdom just by looking out there, just by seeing what a culture does, what's, what's conventional, what's fashionable. One of the great errors of our culture is we think that, that what is right and wrong, what is wise, is a matter of taste or a matter of, uh, of historical development. So that what is right today uh, is, is just what everybody says it is, that somehow it's, it's a democratic decision uh, in that way. The cultural standards are what govern uh, the, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of God, I should say. We actually need help from outside of our environment to see and to begin to know the wisdom of God. And that we find in the pages of the scriptures. Only there will we meet wisdom like, think of others more highly than, you, than yourselves. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Count it all joy when you face all kinds of trials. Becoming wise with godly wisdom is something that God invites us all to do. And the way for us to get there is to deliberately fear him, to be humble about our own wisdom, to pray for wisdom, and to be a regular reader of the Bible, eagerly looking for the mind of God. So do you really think God is wise? If your life is marked by frustration and struggle and pain, it could be easy to think that he is not wise. But even from the midst of our doubt and confusion, we can know that God is deeply, profoundly wise from his wise creation, from the way he brings about his purposes in human affairs and from the cross of Jesus Christ. The only wise God has things in hand and he calls you and me to be humanly wise, to humbly seek his wisdom and to fear him. And then we will indeed know his wisdom. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.